Hello, and welcome to this SDI podcast. My name is Khalil Ghanem, and I'm an associate editor for SDI. We'll be focusing today on the topic of ocular syphilis. The discussion will highlight two papers from the latest issue of SDI. The first paper, Prognosis of Ocular Syphilis in HIV-Infected Patients in the Antiretroviral Therapy Era, was authored by a group of investigators from the AIDS Clinical Center and the National Center for Global Health and Medicine in Tokyo, Japan, and the Center for AIDS Research at Kumamoto University, also in Japan. The first author, Dr. Motoyuki Tsuboi, is with us today. The second paper, Ocular Syphilis, Opportunities to Address Important Unanswered Questions, was first authored by Dr. Susan Tuddenham from Johns Hopkins University, and she's also joining us. A warm welcome to both of you, and thank you for joining us. I'm going to start with Dr. Suboy. Why did you decide to conduct your study? Our hospital uh, is the largest HIV clinic in Japan, located in Tokyo. And uh, in Tokyo, uh, the number of reported cases of syphilis has been increasing in recent years, uh, particularly among men who have sex with men uh, with HIV infection. Uh, this is the same situation as other resource-rich settings. As you know, uh, the reported number of ocular syphilis is uh, increasing in the United States. The Clinical Advisory on Ocular Syphilis was recently released from CDC. And uh, also, uh, in our hospital, uh, two to three patients per year have been diagnosed with ocular syphilis. Uh, however, uh, we didn't have enough data for prognosis of ocular syphilis. For example, uh, we didn't know when the symptom will resolve how fast the important uh, improvement is, how much the symptom recover, and so on. Uh, the data of prognosis of ocular syphilis is extremely limited uh, due to the low incidence of the disease. So we uh, considered uh, accumulation of more data is necessary for better understanding of ocular syphilis in patients infected with HIV. Uh, this is the reason uh, we decided to conduct this retrospective chart review of ocular syphilis cases at our hospital. Fantastic. Thank you. And so can you tell us a little bit what, what you found uh, in your study? Uh, we assessed the clinical presentation and the clinical codes of ocular syphilis with a special focus on prognosis of visual acuity. Uh, we had 30 eyes of 20 patients uh, which developed ocular syphilis. The main finding uh, from our study was that uh, prognosis of ocular syphilis was favorable. Uh, best corrected visual acuity, uh, that is, uh, best corrected vision is uh, with naked eyes, uh, glasses, or contact lenses, improved after treatment in 89% of the eyes. Uh, furthermore, uh, improvement of visual acuity was first. The visual acuity score of 1.0, 0.4, and uh, 0.1 corresponds to uh, 20 over 20, uh, 20 over 50, and uh, 20 over 200 visions, respectively. Uh, normal vision is generally considered to be the BCBA uh, score of 1.0, and visual impairment is usually defined as decrease in BCBA to less uh, 0.4 or less. Uh, most of the eyes uh, with baseline BCBA of 1.0 or less improved to more than 1.0 uh, three months after treatment. Uh, these uh, encouraging results are consistent with previous studies. Uh, our study uh, also showed uh, two other important findings 
first, a presence of ocular symptoms for more than 28 days before diagnosis was uh, significantly associated with uh, poor prognosis of visual acuity. Uh, this finding highlights the need for considering ocular syphilis and the differential diagnosis of obatis, as well as the importance of early diagnosis and early treatment. Second, uh, any structure of eyes can be involved in ocular syphilis, uh, although posterior or panubatis account for 70% of the cases. Uh, therefore, the symptoms can be variable. Uh, they include did, uh, loss of vision, ocular hyperemia, uh, defect of visual fields, ocular pain, and so on. So uh, we physicians uh, should uh, suspect ocular syphilis in any patient infected with HIV uh, who presents with any eye symptoms. Fantastic. And so the main take-home messages from your study were that, one, overall the prognosis is a good prognosis, uh, but the importance uh, is to actually treat the patients as early as possible to ensure that their visual acuity improves. Fantastic. And were you surprised by any of the findings? As I said, uh, the prognosis of visual acuity in patients with ocular syphilis was favorable, uh, but uh, I was surprised that for three eyes with hand motion, uh, it's meaning eyes with very bad vision uh, that could barely recognize moving hand, uh, dramatically improved uh, to be severe of 0 0.6, 0 0.9, and 1.2 after treatment. Uh, our study uh, showed that uh, even the eyes with severe visual impairment uh, could resolve after proper treatment. And another finding uh, which uh, surprised me is that uh, we had three patients uh, who experienced uh, recurrence of ocular syphilis after treatment. And uh, surprisingly, uh, two out of three patients uh, who developed recurrence uh, didn't have any ocular symptoms at recurrence. We could uh, detect recurrence because our ophthalmologist, eye doctor, was regularly following these patients after treatment at our hospital. It highlights the importance of regular ophthalmological follow-up after treatment, since late treatment can improve VCBR, which was also shown in our study. Excellent. So then, again, it highlights the importance of not only uh, diagnosing these infections quickly, but also having an expert follow these patients after treatment to make sure that their visual acuity is, uh, is responding appropriately. Uh, thank you so much. Now, I'm going to move uh, to Dr. Tuddenham. Uh, so, Susan, can you tell us what's been going on in the United States with ocular syphilis? So the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a clinical advisory late last year on ocular syphilis. Uh, between December 2014 and March 2015, 12 cases of ocular syphilis were reported from two U.S. cities, San Francisco and Seattle. And subsequent case finding identified more than 200 cases reported over the past two years from 20 states. The majority of the cases have been among HIV-infected men who have sex with men. Uh, whether this is the result of a specific circulating strain of treponema pallidum that predisposes to ocular disease or enhanced case detection due to, for example, the increasing use of the reverse sequence algorithm for syphilis screening is still unclear. All right. And so uh, one of the questions that comes up very frequently is what's the relationship between ocular syphilis and neurosyphilis? 
So ocular syphilis and neurosyphilis are distinct syndromes that have significant overlap. Remember that uh, certain parts of the eye are developmentally separate from the central nervous system. In the embryo, the surface ectoderm forms the lens, the corneal epithelium, the conjunctiva, and eyelid. The extracellular mesenchyme forms the sclera, the cornea, blood vessels, muscles, and vitreous. And the neuroectoderm forms the retina, posterior layers of the iris, and optic nerves. So some suggest that since structures derived from the neuroepithelium should be regarded as part of the brain, retinitis and optic neuritis should be classified as neurosyphilis. There's still ongoing debate as to whether anterior uveitis, which involves some structures of the eye that are technically not derived from the neuroepithelium, should be classified as neurosyphilis. But others suggest that involvement of any eye structure, irrespective of its ontogeny, should be managed identically to neurosyphilis. Over 60% of patients with ocular syphilis, however, will have abnormalities noted on LP that are consistent with neurosyphilis. All right. So then uh, that certainly begs uh, the question, given that there's been a lot of debate about the need for routine uh, LPs uh, in patients suspected of having ocular syphilis, given that treatment of ocular syphilis and neurosyphilis uh, is the same, is a lumbar puncture really necessary when you suspect a diagnosis of ocular syphilis? Well, although the presence of CSF abnormalities is not necessary to make a diagnosis of ocular syphilis, there are several reasons why this recommendation may be reasonable. So a majority of patients with ocular syphilis will have CSF abnormalities that suggest neurosyphilis. And despite similar treatment regimens for both ocular and neurosyphilis, the CDC guidelines currently recommend serial CSF examinations every six months in patients with abnormal CSF until the CSF normalizes. If normalization is not achieved within two years, additional therapy may be warranted. So, although CSF abnormalities are not necessary to diagnose ocular syphilis, the presence of CSF abnormalities will change management. Secondly, ocular syphilis is a presumptive diagnosis based upon nonspecific clinical signs and symptoms in persons with positive syphilis serology. In most patients, syphilis will not be the only entity on the differential diagnosis for the ocular manifestation. So the CSF examination may help confirm the presumptive diagnosis of ocular syphilis. Finally, uh, although no objective data exists to support this, we have observed in clinical practice that some patients with ocular syphilis have a stuttering course after treatment with occasional transient worsening of symptoms. This can create confusion as to whether the patient is failing therapy and needs retreatment. So the CSF examination, if abnormal, may provide more objective information that can be followed to help determine whether patients need additional therapy. Because of these issues, we would still recommend that a CSF examination be part of routine evaluation of ocular syphilis. Which is also what uh, currently the CDC recommends as well. Fantastic. Thank you. And now a final question to Dr. Tsuboy. Uh, how do you think ocular syphilis differs between HIV-infected patients and uh, HIV-uninfected persons? This is a very uh, good question. Uh, progress of syphilis is reported to be faster in HIV-infected patients uh, than those without such infection. And uh, because of it, uh, Ocular syphilis might be more frequent among patients with HIV infection than those without HIV infection. Uh, 
several studies have suggested a prevalence of ocular syphilis uh, as high as 10% uh, of HIV-infected patients who present with syphilis and ocular symptoms. Uh, our results showed that none of the parameters of HIV infection, uh, such as uh, CD4 cell count, HIV one-load, and antiretroviral therapy use was associated with uh, BCBR at diagnosis, uh, prognosis, or recurrence uh, of ocular syphilis. As previously reported, uh, the most common location of inflammation at presentation in HIV-infected patients is posterior ovaria. Uh, in our study, 70% uh, of the eyes also presented with uh, posterior or panuvitis. Excellent. So certainly some distinctions between uh, those who are HIV infected and those who aren't. So my, uh, my uh, deep gratitude to both our discussants for joining us today. If you want to know more about ocular syphilis uh, and about the studies that we discussed today, uh, we would direct you to the latest issue of SDI where the two manuscripts are available. Thank you so much.